Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year again. So does anyone have any New Year's resolutions? Yep. Yeah. No? Yes? How are they going? Going, going good so far? I pulled up a, a few funny New Year's resolutions online. And I was going to share them with you this morning, but I quickly realized that if I'm reading them online, you've probably read them online. And, and I'll, I'll spare you from all of them except one. You see, I, I'm going to be working on getting more healthy this year. I, I, I've got all sorts of ideas about... Uh, working out and healthy eating, and I think I've landed on the New Year's resolution for me. You see, this year my New Year's resolution will be to stop using butter on my donuts. <laughs> on my donuts. Other than that, I'll still use butter. Just not on my donuts. I'm expecting a six-pack any day now. I saw a comedian tweet out a, a, about. Resolutions the other day, they said, May your troubles in 2023 last as long as your resolutions. <laughs> so there you go. You can win and you can fail at the same time. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 26. I was going to do something a little different and I was like, you know what? We're going to get back to, to 1 Samuel. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 26 there. In, uh, in 1 Samuel 26, we're looking at the third of a trio of stories. They concern David, and they concern uh, vengeance, right? And David is learning that vengeance is for the Lord. The Lord will handle vengeance. In the first story, David spares Saul in chapter 24 uh, when Saul uh, comes into the cave where he's hiding, and, and he has the opportunity to kill him. In the second story, David nearly destroys an entire household because of a slight by the leader of that household. God inhibits David's sin with a wise woman named Abigail. And the last time we talked about these passages, I mentioned a dominant reoccurring theme, right? That theme being that vengeance is the Lord's. It's not left to us to avenge ourselves or even to avenge the wrongs done against the Lord. God can deal with it in his perfect time. In our second story uh, with the fool and his wife, our, our theme deepened just a little bit, though. We learned more about how, how to handle conflict as a Christian. Uh, now, instead of just what we're not supposed to do, we we're actually learned about what we are called to do. In Abigail's plea for the house of Nabal, she says, For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. We are not called to vengeance, but to righteousness and faith. The righteousness of fighting the battles of the Lord and the faithfulness of having no evil within you. Or as we would say here in 2023, Christ-likeness. So in looking back at the two previous stories, we may be tempted to say, okay, I think we get it, right? David gets the point. Lesson learned. What's next? Time and tide wait for no man. And David has a kingdom to rule, so let's, let's move the story along, right? Thank God he doesn't think like we do. You see, sometimes we can learn a lesson from God and think that we're good to go. It's a lot like learning a math problem when I taught my kids the, the Pythagorean theorem in math. Anybody remember the Pythagorean theorem? You got a few. You're a scientist. You don't count. He's <laughs> like, that's, that's baby stuff. I could get them to get the right answer. 
right? But the question they all dreaded was, prove it. Prove it. Why, if you square the two short sides, does it, the, does it equal the square of the long side? Why is that? And it wasn't until they could, could really see why that it, that it really locked into their brains. And this is what we'll see in the passage today. God is, is bringing David back to that spot where vengeance could be taken, where David could take matters into his own hands or trust God. So let's see what happens. We're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel 26, starting in verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakilah, which is before Jeshemah? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped on the hill of Hakilah, which is before Jeshemah, beside the road. And David was staying in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had, came, had come after him, uh, he, oh, sorry, I screwed that up. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies. And he knew that Saul was definitely coming. David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp. And the people were camped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground of his head. And Abner and the people were laying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now, therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him the second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now please take the spear that is at his head, and the jug of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away, but no one saw or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the mountain, at a distance with a, a large area between them. David called to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner replied, Who are you that calls out to the king? So David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. And as the Lord lives, all of you must surely die because you did not guard your lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was at his head. Then Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, the king. He also said, when then, why then is my Lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my Lord the king listen to the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the Lord. For they have driven me out today, so that I would have no act attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now then, do not let blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. 
And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again, because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and committed a serious error. David replied, Behold, the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all distress. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. May God add his blessing of understanding to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look out into your beautiful sunny day, we realize without your light within us, no outward light is profitable. We pray that you give us the light of your spirit on our journey through your word today, so that we may see you, the God of our salvation, the delight of our souls in what we read. We offer this time to you, Lord, and pray that you watch over us in our hearts. We come trembling to your throne and fall on our faces in the glory of your mercy and grace. Amen. So our passage today kind of breaks down in some easy-to-bite uh, bits there. Uh, we get the setting in verses 1 through 5. Uh, David and Abishai are, are next in verses 6 through 12. Then we get the interaction between David and Abner in verses uh, 13 through 16. And finally, the interaction between David and Saul in verses 17 through 25. So let's let's get the setting down. Let's start in verse 1. We see the, the Ziphites, they're at it again. Right? Remember them, the last time uh, Saul came out after David, it was the Ziphites. They went to him and said, hey, I know where David is. And they say, uh, David is hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon. It's a lot of really difficult to pronounce words there. They just mean he was to the south, uh, near the desert. Jeshimon was a uh, uh, desert area there, so he was down in the south. And they said, hey, he's on this hill. So Saul does what Saul does, right? He grabs 3,000 of the choicest men. He heads down there, and we see... Right away there in verse 2 that his information was a little outdated or, or maybe it was just a little off because Saul arose and went down and uh, he camps on the hill there. But David's not there. David's in the wilderness. And when he sees Saul coming after him, he sends out spies. He probably knew what was going on, right? But he wanted to, wanted to verify just to make sure. And uh, he knows for sure they're coming. So night falls and, and David and, and two other guys sneak down and they're and they're looking out at this hill and the problem with taking 3,000 dudes anywhere is you can't really hide them that well right you put 3,000 dudes on a hill you're going to know they're there right and David had a little bit of a height advantage um, he was up in the hill so he could see down he could see them all plain as day right in front of him there and they're circled around and they see Saul in the middle with Abner as general and we start to see little differences Right? I mentioned we've, we've kind of already been there before in verse 24, but in verse, or in chapter 24, but in chapter 24, David was at a much greater disadvantage. Remember, he was in the cave. He was huddling in a cave. He didn't know where Saul was. Saul just happened to pop in. This time, David knows exactly where Saul is, and Saul has no idea where David is. We start to see these little differences here. Saul is flying blind, and David takes an overwatch position over Saul, and he hatches a plan. And he says to uh, Ahimelech the Hittite, anybody know who Ahimelech the Hittite was? Don't worry, you'll never see him again. He's only mentioned <laughs> right here. This is, this is the only time we get to see Ahimelech the Hittite. 
I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he says it to him and to Abishai. Now, Abishai, we will see again. Um, he asks them, who wants to go down uh, with him into the camp? And we're not surprised. If you know anything about Abishai, you know, you're not surprised that Abishai's like, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Right? We, we don't see much about him here, but if we continue into 2 Samuel, we learn a whole lot about Abishai. Uh, Abishai is David's sister's son, a.k.a. his nephew, right? And uh, if we fast forward to, to 2 Samuel 23, we see he's a pretty bad dude, right? At one point, he actually saves David's life in a battle against a, another giant like uh, Goliath, right? David gets tired, and the giant's bearing down on him, and Abishai actually saves him. Um, he's listed, uh, David had this, this troop of 30 men, and these dudes were bad guys, right? We, you wouldn't want to mess with these guys. And Abishai is actually listed as their chief. He was in charge of the bad dudes. So he was a bad dude. Uh, at, at one point, he swung a spear against 300 men and killed them all. Right? So it's like Jackie Chan and, and uh, all, all those action guys. Yeah, all of them, Put them all together, that's Abishai. There's just one problem with Abishai, though. Just one problem. Have you ever heard the phrase, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail? When you're Abishai, everything looks like something to stab with the spear. Right? When we get down there in uh, verse 7 there, David and Abishai come to the people by night, and they sneak in, and there's Saul. And of course, right, every time we read about Saul, what does he got? A spear, right? And there's that spear stuck in the, in the ground right there. And uh, he sees all the people sleeping around him, and, and Abishai pulls out his best theological reasoning for stabbing people. He says, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. This is the day. Let me strike him to the spear with one stroke. I won't miss. I won't miss. I just need one shot at this guy. I think it was it's safe to assume that Abishai was with David in the cave the first time. Right? And, and they sent David to do the dirty work. And then when David didn't do it, Abishai didn't make the mistake the second time. Right? He says, I'll do it. I'll do it. You don't worry about it. Uh, this is a little more uh, a palatable option for David. You don't have to kill him. I'll kill him. <laughs> Verse 9, David says to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. A little change there. A little change there. You remember in 24, he, he said the same thing, you know, who would strike the Lord's anointed? Who would stretch his hand out and be without guilt and all? But it's, a, it's just a little different this time. David is perhaps remembering how close he came to having blood on his hands in the last chapter. right? When he was going to strike down Nabal and every male in his household. And he focuses on the guilt that one would, would feel for striking down the Lord's anointed. And then he takes it one step further, and he says God will strike him down. It is going to happen, whether by natural causes or death in battle, or, or God just might strike him dead. And you can't help but think that maybe David is remembering 1 Samuel 25, verse 38. Remember that teeny little verse? About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. It doesn't take very many words to describe it when God says, nope. David remembers that. You see, David has seen what the Lord can do, and here he remembers. Amen. That lesson is locked in. And in the future, David will surely look back at this moment and understand that God has been with him, and God will avenge him. 
He saw it in real time. David continues, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. Just take the dude's water. What's the deal with that? And the spear. I mean, I understand the spear, right? He's already chucked it at David like three times. He threw it at Jonathan once. Every time we see Saul, I said this already, right? What do we see with him? He has that spear, right? And in, in tribal nations and stuff like that, weapons often indicated who was the boss. This was the spear boss, right? Whoever had that spear was the boss. And Saul carried it with him everywhere he went to remind people of his power. My kingdom, mine. And, and that jug of water, remember where they were. We saw the pictures, I don't know, about a month ago, a couple weeks ago. It's dry. Not like yesterday, right? It's, it's like a month ago before it started raining, dry, right? It, it's, and, and water represents life in the desert. No water, no life. And so you've, you've got Saul's life in the water jug, and you've got Saul's kingdom in the spear. And David says, let's take those. And we remember back to 24 when he cut the hem of his robe, and we remember that the hem of the robe was actually where uh, their rank was. He's, he's, he's making a demonstration again. I took your kingdom, and I take your life. Now he tells Abishai to do it, but then look in verse 12. I don't think he trusted I don't think he trusted Abishai, because it says, So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away. But no one saw it. And you got to ask yourself, how? Like, one time we were, we were upstairs. We have a two-story house. We were upstairs. And my wife heard a mousetrap go off in the garage, right? It's, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. I was like, ah, and I went down there. Sure enough, there's a dead mouse in the, in the mousetrap. How in the world can these guys be sitting there having this conversation, sneaking in, and nobody, 3,000 guys, surely one of them is a light sleeper, right? Surely somebody wakes up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and there's two guys standing there having a conversation. But we see right here. Verse 12, and they went away, but no one saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. That Hebrew word there for sound sleep is the same word that's used when God put Adam to sleep and removed the rib to make Eve. Or when Abraham was preparing to offer that sacrifice that God told him to set up, and God put him to sleep, and God walked through. God put them to sleep. It was supernatural, which makes sense, right? God is protecting his king. David practices a, a little social distancing. He goes over to the other side, and he stands on, on the top of the mountain. He gives himself plenty of room just in case, you know, things go sideways. And he calls out to Abner. He doesn't even call out to the king this time. He calls out to Abner. Will you not answer, Abner? Can you imagine waking up to that? You've been in a deep sleep. God put you to sleep. You wake up, someone's screaming and yelling. You're in the middle of the desert. Abner doesn't take the bait. He says, who calls on the king? So David just pretty much fillets this guy. Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why have you not guarded the Lord your king? This is a little bit of sarcasm here. <laughs> For one of the people came to destroy the king, your Lord. And he, he throws in a little bit of truth here. The thing you've done is not good. As the Lord lives... All of you must surely die because you did not guard your king. <coughs> he says, look, I can prove it. Here's the spear. Here's the water jug. About this time, Saul's waking up. 
He reaches for the spear because that's what he does every time he wakes up, right? Where's my spear? I need my spear. <laughs> Saul recognizes David's voice and he says, is, your, is that your voice, my son David? David says, it is my voice, my lord king. He's still respectful to the king. And he says, why are you pursuing me? For what have I done? He says, he, he offers him a couple of different options here. He, he doesn't come right out and say, you're, you're an idiot, you're a fool, stop chasing me. He gives him two options. He says, did, did somebody stir you up? Is there somebody telling you, hey, go get David? If so, cursed are they. Or maybe the Lord is, is making you do this. Maybe God is stirring you up against me. I'll go offer a sacrifice. And then he says this, but I said, now then do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountain. We, we hunt partridges around here. We use shotguns, right? But back then, the way, the way they, they hunt partridges, there's this breed over there, and it's very numerous. And the way they hunt them is they just chase them for a while. And the partridge will run, and then they'll, they'll find it and chase it. And they do that a couple of times, and the partridge starts to get tired. And then they wait, and they go run it up again. And when the partridge tries to fly off, they whack it with a stick. And he's saying, look, why are you hunting a partridge in the mountain? There's millions of, of partridges in the plain that are very easy to get, and you're coming up into the rocks and trying to hunt this single partridge. He goes on, Saul says, uh, I have sinned. Return, my son David. Yeah, right. <laughs> Return, my son. Come back, for I will not harm you again because my life is precious in your sight. Behold, I have played the fool. Hmm. Early morning awareness. You ever get that when you wake up first thing in the morning and, and things are just so clear? Right? But as you go throughout your day, things get foggy. And, and like it was, When I was a kid, my grandpa used to take us fishing. And the night before we would go fishing, it sounded like a really good idea. Right? I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to get on the boat. We're going to catch fish. And then at 4 o'clock in the morning, my grandpa would come to wake us up. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, things were a lot clearer at that point. And I remember thinking very vividly as a, as a young child, this is the stupidest thing on the planet. Why would we get out of bed and go fishing at 4 o'clock in the morning? The fish aren't going anywhere. They're not going to Darwin it and walk away. That early morning wakefulness, he realizes, I have sinned. Return to me. David replies, here's your spear, send one of your guys over. And I think there's an important lesson here. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. Right? Why, why didn't he go back with Saul? Saul apologized. How many times are we supposed to forgive our brothers? 777, right? But just because Saul was a fool didn't mean that David needed to be a fool. There's boundaries are not a, a bad thing. Healthy boundaries are not a bad thing. We can absolutely forgive. David made peace with the king. He was respectful to the king. He made peace with him. But he wasn't going to subject himself to the king again and to the things that the king would do to him. It's like that with to these days. You know, you, If you have somebody that you just absolutely cannot get along with, they're antagonistic, 
it's okay to make peace with them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you always put yourself back into that position again for that conflict. Boundaries are not wrong as long as they're within love. Verse 23, David is still talking now. He says, The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And he says, As my life was highly valued, or as your life was highly valued in my sight today, I hope it's that way with the Lord. He just jumps over King Saul. He, he knows where King Saul lands, right? But he's focused on God. And Saul says to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will accomplish much and surely prevail. Those are the last words that David will ever say to Saul and Saul will ever say to David. From this point on, they'll separate. We'll see later on that Saul will fall in battle, just like David said could happen. These are the last words. Blessed are you, my son. You will accomplish much and surely prevail. And I just, I just envision this guy in the early morning crying out to David, weeping. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's sorrow, but there's no repentance. There's other people like that in here. Judas was sorrowful. He went out and wept. Then he hung himself. There was no repentance. You see, God isn't interested in making us feel bad just to make us feel bad. Right? 2 Corinthians uh, 2 4, um, Paul is talking to the Corinthians there, and in 1 Corinthians, he let him have it. There was a guy there that was, was actually sleeping with his mother in law, and he said, What are you doing? Why are you letting this guy be a part of your fellowship and acting like everything's okay? In 2 Corinthians, he comes back and he says, Okay, what I meant was, <laughs> okay, what I meant was, you put him out for a time, you get, bring him to repentance, and then you bring him back. Right? That's church discipline. Church discipline isn't, get out, I never want to see you again. Church discipline is, hey, until you fix this behavior, you can't be a part of this. And as soon as you fix that behavior, I want you back in here. I want you back in my family. Paul told him not to, not to overly make the person sorry because his, his goal was repentance, not just to make the man sorrow or sorry. Sorrow is a good first step, but without repentance, without turning away from our sin, and turning to Christ, we're just like Saul. Weepy old men destined to fail again and again and again. Well, if you got my text this week, you remember that I said, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we thought we had mastered, like David did today. And our temptation is to become frustrated. Why am I going through this again? I thought we already dealt with this. But God doesn't make mistakes. Sometimes we still have a lesson to learn. And sometimes God is just proving to us the lesson that he already taught us. This 2022 ended and we're looking into 2023 and, and what the future holds. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out just what should we talk about today? Do we focus on 2022 and the amazing things that God did for us? Do we focus on 2023 and the amazing things he will do for us? I started really looking at 1 Samuel 26, and one question just kept nibbling at the corner of my mind. Why would a story so similar to a story in chapter 24 show up again in 26? I mean, this book spans thousands of years with relatively few words. Why spend precious real estate on a remake? 
the more I chewed on it and read it, the more the, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that this story had a similar element to the story of Nabal and Abigail, chapter 25. Remember what I pointed out, given the right set of circumstances, the right uh, set of events or people or places, any one of us is capable of great sin. This is why when, when, you're, when you're helping a brother or sister in sin, we are to look to ourselves first so that we are not enticed as well. Well, this story is one of those moments. You see, this story is nothing like the first story, other than the obvious pardon by David, right? That's the same. Characters are the same, but it's nothing like it. This is new water for David. David let Saul off with a warning already. Saul had already seen and confessed that God was with David and that David would be king, and he made David promise not to cut off his descendants when he became king, and yet here we are again. The Ziphites, the 3,000 men, the hunting for David. It's all been done before. So how much more restraint did David have to show the second time he had to spare Saul? Knowing full well that there, with this despairing of Saul, there could be a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time. This was the same temptation in all three stories. It's just packaged different. It's a different story. I mentioned God's method of teaching us at the beginning of this sermon, and this is one of those moments. How good our Savior is to us that he teaches us the same lesson patiently over and over and over until we fully acknowledge his ways with our faithfulness and righteousness. This is something I think that we should study as we head into the new year. And as we prepare to deal with new and old struggles or temptations alike. As we prepare to learn and relearn the lessons that make us more like Christ, let us first, like David, look back and reflect on the lessons we learned in 2023. As a church, what did God teach us? Well, he taught us that he provides, amen? Amen. He provided a unity that sustained us through a pastoral service and during the pastoral vote. He provided us with Pastor Brad to feed us while we were in that search. He provided us with a pastor and a congregation that supports this pastor, both equally important. He provided a contractor to help us out when our money got stolen from the kitchen. He provided us new deacons to give the old ones a break. He provided new families that have joined our church and have stepped up to support our ministries. And he's raised existing members to fill leadership positions. Our Bible studies are growing. We're going to be launching another Bible study this this month. Our youth group is growing. We had 50 kids at the Christmas party. 50 kids. Crazy. Our prayer group on Sunday nights is still smaller than it should be, but we've seen it grow. We've had baptisms, new members classes, and events that have reached out into our community. And it's important that we don't forget those lessons. It's important that we remember the Lord fights our battles for us. Having spent most of my life intimately involved in church matters, we need to understand one thing. A church that has lost most of its senior membership should not even be here, much less growing, but by the grace of God. It's all God. He is watching over this church. 
He is bringing the people that needs to come to this church. He is opening up the ministries that need to be opened. Twenty twenty three, we will face new battles, and we'll face old ones. And we will need to be able to think back on these lessons that we've learned. Think back to the times where God watched over us. And then, as a unified church, we need to be able to say, Lord, we trust you. You will fight this battle. And what about personally? What battles have you fought over the past year? More importantly, what battles has the Lord fought for you? over this last year? How has God been teaching you? What will you do differently this year? How will you prepare for what's coming in 2023? I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but I would be willing to bet vital parts of your anatomy that there are other besides me in this room that feel like life is hurling itself down the road at a million miles an hour. So much change, so much difference than previous years gone by. And a lot that isn't getting better. And if you're feeling like that, it is so vitally important that we remember. We remember those times that the Lord protected and taught us. Because if the last few years have taught us anything, life can change so quickly. And if we spend time in God's word, we know it's going to be this way. Peter warned us about it. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Paul warned us about it. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know the Philippians knew this when Paul mentions their trouble in Philippians 2.29 For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict that you saw in me and now here to be in me. Jesus knew it would be this way. And he told us in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. But despite these promises of doom and gloom, the Bible doesn't leave us adrift in a sea of despair. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Amen. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Paul tells us in Romans 8, starting in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that's sanctification, so 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. And Jesus tells us again in John 16, 33, the whole verse. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen. 2023, and, and any year after, for that matter, as long as the Lord sees fit to keep us here on earth, he will guide us as church, as family, as individuals. He will patiently teach us lessons and reinforce those lessons with the end goal of, of preparing us for the best New Year's celebration ever, the new year that we have in heaven. prepare now to take the, the Lord's Supper for the first time in 2023, let this be a time when we look back at our lives, not with the intention of self-abuse, not to examine all the ways that we've failed, the ways we've let the Lord down or we've let other people down, but with the clear intention of re-examining all those times that God worked in our lives and taught us those precious lessons that prepare us for a continued walk with so that when we face trials of various kinds, we can act in righteousness and faithfulness. The second here, I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, the deacons would come forward, we'll, we'll share the Lord's Supper. I just want to say, if you're here today and you haven't made Christ your Lord and Savior, if you haven't made that decision to follow him, if you haven't repented of the sin in your life and given it to Christ, this meal is a meal for, for believers. Let this go by today. You're in the right place, and we want you here. Amen. But let this meal go by for today. And as we sing the last song after the Lord's Supper, I'll, I'll stay down here. If you're here and you don't know this Jesus Christ that we're speaking about, and you're staring down the barrel of a new year with no real assurance on how it will turn out, no real assurance on... What would happen today if you walked out that door and got hit by a car? And you want to know about the hope and the love that the people around you are feeling right now. You want to understand it. Come down and talk to people. I'd love to share Christ with you. Get you started on your way. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your lessons. Thank you that you are so patient with us. But Lord, even, even when we, we come up upon something and, and you teach us a lesson and then the circumstances change just a little bit and we have to learn that lesson again, Lord, you're so patient with us. And you teach us again and again and again. All with the, the purpose of making us more Christ-like. Our sanctification. We thank you that we can trust you. As we look at 2023 and we look at the last few years and we see how crazy this world has gotten, Lord, we don't have to be afraid because we have a God that knows all, that sees all, and that is powerful over everything here. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray now as we come to your table, Lord, that you would, you would encourage us to examine our lives, examine us, 
how the lessons that you've taught us affect us and, and, and affect our ministries. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't waste this opportunity to look back and learn. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.